Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned J. Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, then join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. What's going on, guys? I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio, Channel 132. Each week, we talk about the craft beer business, pop culture, and whatever else comes to mind. I'm here with my co-host, JWB's head brewer, Maria Cabre. Hi, Maria. Hola. Our first guest this week traded a life as a guitarist in a touring metal band for one as a brewery owner. Along with his wife, Lauren, and fellow musician-turned-brewer, Jeremiah Bignell, he opened Homage Brewery in Pomona, California in 2016. Homage's beers quickly earned a huge following, and they outgrew their three-barrel system. They celebrated their five-year anniversary this year by opening a 5,000-square-foot, 15-barrel brew house with a full-service kitchen in L.A.'s Chinatown neighborhood. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Matthew Garcia. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Not Thanks too- for having me. Well, I want to say thank you for coming on the show today and for being our guest. Um, we're going to jump right into it. So this is something I did not know. And uh, we did a little homework on you. Neither did I. Right. So so back in the mid-late 2000s, you were a guitarist for a metal band called A Love in Suicide. Yeah. You guys were making albums and touring the country. Is that when you became exposed to craft beer? Um, no, actually. Uh, yeah. So like during that time, um, I was like Warped Tour and uh, we did like two full U.S. tours and it was fun. Um but yeah, like to stay, uh, I guess like safe and, and I was young, I was probably like 18 to 21. So I wasn't even of the legal age to drink. So I think the only kind of like beer that I would come across that was craft beer was like, um, Sierra Nevada and like new Belgium, uh, stuff on the road, you know, like people would have right. at their house after those and stuff like that. So I started getting introduced to that, but it wasn't really until, um, when I, when I got back from tour and I was like 21 that I started to work at, uh, at a chain restaurant over here called yard house. And they carry like, I don't know, like 200 something beers. And I was a server there while I was doing my music as well. And, uh, that's when I kind of like got exposed to like all the local craft breweries pretty much at that time, like the San Diego explosion of, of craft beer was kind of happening. So I was kind of in the midst of that while working there, explaining those types of IPAs and things that were coming out of that area. Um, so yeah, I was getting, and then I was starting to get familiarized with like a lot of Belgian stuff and like, you know, Allagash and things of that sort from that time, um, around that, around that time, that's kind of when I got exposed. Oh, that's awesome. So what would you say, okay, we jumped to Yard House. Was there one particular beer while you were working there that, you know, lit that fuse for you per se? Yeah, for sure. Um, it was a lot of the different like Belgian beers that I was drinking. Um, I think like Chimay, um, there was Delirium Tremens and like uh, Duval that kind of really like changed and opened my eyes to what craft beer can be. I think like what kind of surprised me was how easy and drinkable they were, but yet like almost eight to 12% depending, you know, like Belgian triples are just so dangerous in that regard. So I, I think I, that really uh, enticed me. And then um, for sure, like stone ruination and um, the Sierra Nevada beers like torpedo and uh, things of that sort kind of were like really mind blowing as far as what hops were, were starting to, you know, at that usage rate, like what they're able to do inside beer. And, and I think that was really kind of like opened my eyes to um, beer as well. So coming out of that, when did you start thinking about home brewing or brewing your own beer along that? Well, I had, uh, I'd actually got fired from Yardus for, uh, having my phone on me, which was, it was the most ridiculous <laughs> reason. I, I still laugh about that to this day. Like they have like this two phone offense rule. So it's like, if you get caught with your phone on you, um, the second time you get fired. So I left and, um, 
there was this place in Pasadena called, or they weren't open in Pasadena yet, but they were opening one in Azusa called Congregation Ale House, and they had started in Long Beach. Um, they were this brand new pub, and they were kind of like specifically uh, honing in on like Belgian style beer and um, and even more like specific. So they were getting stuff that was like a little bit more rare than what you'd have at you know like a commercial yard house. And so I saw the opportunity to work there, and I kind of worked my way up the ranks up to GM really quick. But during that time, um, I'd known a lot about beer. So I started uh, just kind of like the interest in and the spark of kind of like I was starting to like get older and need more money. So that the music stuff was kind of in, in taking backseat. Right, it was kind of fading away. Right. Yeah, it's kind of fading away. And so my work was starting to, um, you know, I was starting to make money, good money being a GM. And I was like at that age. And so I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to start home brewing. And so I started home brewing and I, you know, being in Southern California without an, any temperature control and a carboy trying to make an IPA just doesn't work. Like. <laughs> so wait, okay, wait, okay, hold on. So what, <laughs> what was your first homebrew? My first beers were probably like a Hefeweizen, oh uh, a stout and probably like an IPA. How did they, how did, how did they turn out? <laughs> Hefeweizen was fine. I mean, right, like yeah. literally, I mean, it wasn't the greatest Hefeweizen, obviously, but it wasn't bad. It was, it was drinkable. The stout was like more like a porter and the, uh, <laughs> and the IPA was just, uh, yeah, like pretty much like it tasted like a case of like Sierra Nevada sitting in your garage after like two months, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, so it's like, awesome. it was like, so it was like oxidized, you know, I thought it was the coolest thing, but right. you know, and then I go to work and I taste like fresh beer and i'm like wait how do they do this you know so temperature control <laughs> temperature control 100 <laughs> percent, and uh and and very little exposure to oxygen yeah. so um so yeah i found that out and started reading more and more and i think i like got into like the blogs and just like the natural progression of me like the way i kind of used my artistic sense to kind of get into like guitar and like researching and all that i think i just applied to beer kind of just switched over naturally all of that kind of energy and um i started researching beer and i i really got into like um i started to get like i think it was like jolly pumpkin um there was you know i i started to get into cantillon like Dre fontaine and like uh i think flanders beer and phantom phantom really sparked that kind of interest in like wild beer and i found that it was like okay well i have these beers sitting around that aren't that great that i don't really want to keg so I started pitching wild yeast into them. And that's kind of how, um, I think for me, you know, being in Southern California, like it's kind of warm, but, um, the beers like would like turn out good with, with when I pitch Brett, like they would take off and they would do their things. I let them sit and forget about them for like six months. And then I bottle condition them. And I was like, Whoa, this is, this is pretty awesome. You know, right. so that's kind of how the, the whole like farmhouse, like, um, saison background started with me and then I, I just really started to hone hone in on the skill of of what that takes and i think what really kind of catapulted my career with like homage and like the sense of being a saison for a brewery was i started to do those types of beers and read about them and and um and then once i met my buddy jeremiah who's um brewing with me now too uh, he had kind of the, he was going down the same road and if not had made like some amazing like blended because he had uh it was so cool when i met him it was like it was like that cool dude that had like the cool guitar and cool amp except for me he had barrels in his garage which <laughs> i could i was living in an apartment so i was like oh my god dude you have barrels you know that's amazing <laughs> yeah so, so when um so when along the lines did you meet him and then in the process of meeting him and obviously what he had going on as well did you yeah. guys decide with your wife that it would be, you know, we need to open our own brewery? Yeah. So no, I, I was already, I was already opening up a brewery. Um, oh. yeah. So I was, I was already on my way. I was going to be a, like a Saison focused brewery with like, you know, pretty much what we're doing now. Like I've right. stuck with my whole, my whole model since I, since I opened back in 2016. And that was like an idea from probably 2014. But, uh, yeah, I, I met him along the way and my buddy who I toured with in a band was in his band was in a band with Jeremiah and um, they were actually touring and doing music as well. And he was like, yo, like, 
I just had some of your beers recently and my bassist is um dude he's doing like the same stuff you are with the wild yeast he's like I, I haven't met a lot of people that are doing that but like you guys got to link up like I've um do you know him and I'm like no I've never met this guy and he's like dude yeah I'll give you his number hit him up um I'm sure he'd be down to help you at the brewery but like I've tried his beers I've tried your beers they're both amazing like I gotta get you guys in connection that's awesome man so yeah, that, that's kind of how we met. It's this funny story. I, I remember I wrote out this like really intricate questionnaire and I was like asking about like, I'm like, he's not going to know the answers to this. Like asking about <laughs> Cantillon, like about Lambic Brewing and all this stuff. Dude answered it with flying colors. And I'm like, what the, I got to meet this dude. Who is he? You know? So uh, that's kind of how we met. And then I told him what I wanted to do and he was on board and um, I brought him in. That's awesome, man. So your original uh, Pomona location, it's actually in between two music venues, the yeah. Glass House and the Fox Theater. What role did that location play in your early success, you think? Um, it's funny because like that's where that's where my part of my music career like started. I was watching bands at Glass House. They were all running through there. Every, any all the bands from like New York, Florida, this whole hardcore scene that was coming through there, like kind of ran through the Glass House in Pomona. So when we were looking for a space, you know, we we're, we we're brewing in Pasadena and like that far West, like everything is far too expensive for what my budget was at that time. So we went, looked East and like for me growing up in, um, it was a little city called West Covina suburb of ballet, basically. Um, Pomona was only like 15 minutes from there. And Pomona's like, I'm in probably around like 30 minutes East of LA without traffic, but with traffic, you're talking about an hour. Oh yeah. Um, I know that drive. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's brutal. So, so yeah, I used to go to shows there all the time and like spend a lot of my, my youth there. And a lot of people associate that, like that came up from that scene as one of the places you went to as a kid. So like when I found it, it was just kind of like, okay, well I come from music. Like I still want to involve music with what I'm doing. How do I do that? And then like this spot came about and I'm like, okay, this is perfect. Like, you know, the rent in the area is within my budget um, and it's perfectly placed in a downtown area between two venues that I frequented. And so, um, yeah, this like kind of playing off of the shows and the things that were going on definitely helped like bring in new people and new faces around the local community to like, uh, um, you know, figure out who we were and what we were doing with our beer and our sense of direction and our ties to music. And I think it definitely like helped shape, um, what we're doing and, and, evolve the success of us as well that's awesome man you're listening to the beer hour with jonathan wakefield and we are talking to matt garcia of homage brewing you know you were just telling me also that in june you opened a new location in chinatown mm-hmm. yeah. which is in the same neighborhood as highland park and 101 cider house and do you see chinatown becoming like a destination like a beer destination now in la for sure 100 percent. i think in the first first month we did it, it's, uh, you know, that's the kind of the feedback that I've been getting because it's just like the common kind of saying that I get is just, there's this one, two punch, you know, it's like you come and, you know, of course, beer nerds and beer fanatics are going to go to, they have monkish on their list. They have Highland park on our list. And we've been fortunate enough to be, um, you know, lumped in with all those breweries and, and, um, that's because so you guys, when, that's because you guys make really good beer. <laughs> so yeah. there, there's a reason for that. I mean, yeah, thank you. Thank you. But yeah, so we, we, you know, we are on that list for people traveling. And, you know, when we had our grand opening, we had a bunch of people travel out for that. And it, it was just amazing to see, um, you know, I, I mean, so many things. It's just, it's so apparent to how much these festivals mean to people as well, because like they're, you know, they came out and they'd be like, dude, you remember me? I, I met you at Wake Fest. And I'm like, oh. actually, yeah, now that you say that I do, or like Pastry Town or whatever it is, you know, <laughs> that we were at, like, these people come out and, and it's, it's just so amazing to see the love and the support and, and this community that craft beer has built. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely like an area of destination for people now. And um, yeah, I think just the success of both breweries next to each other has, has really uh, it's going to me and Bob talk about it all the time. I mean, that street is it's going to blow up. Streets. Yeah. It's yeah, going to blow up for sure. Street for craft beer right there. So, um, so you have the, the old location and now you have the new location. 
how many bar- yeah. how many barrels combined are you i mean what is going to be like your end goal like where are you going to be where do you think your production numbers are you trying to hit that you're going to be satisfied with like what are you kind of what kind of numbers are you looking to do between the combination yeah so for for me like it's just gradually kind of organically feeling like the balance of of how much beer is going out um as far as you know what the consumer is buying and um and what i'm going to kind of like how to find that happy medium where I don't have any beer sitting around or I'm making too much. And so for us, we're kind of in that right now. We, we have uh, two fermenters only in Chinatown right now, because uh, our goal, like one, the budget thing during, during COVID kind of like kicked our butts. But um, you know, once we got up running, we had two tanks going over there and we have our production in um, Pomona. And what's great about Pomona is um and what's great about what we do is that we make a lot of Saison beer and that's what probably sells the most for us. That's what people gravitate towards. And we do make a lot of that because we have a lot of like a, a big barrel facility um, in Pomona as well at a, at a warehouse. And um, that kind of has been able to anchor us down where we allow room for our clean beer um, to kind of, uh, hold us up as well. And yeah, as far as numbers, I'm still kind of working that out, seeing where we're at as far as how many barrels a year that we're, we're planning to produce. But, uh, we, that Chinatown itself is, is a monster. I mean, we've been selling beer like no other, like we didn't even know what to expect. And now that we're, we just kind of threw ourselves in that area. Um, just being in the, in LA, like, right. Yeah tremendous it's tremendous so yeah we're figuring all that out and um but what's great is you know i in the, within the first month we kind of put plans together and kind of went forth with them and um everything's kind of clicking and falling in place now and it's becoming a lot easier that first month i thought i was going to run out of beer like seriously i was like <laughs> i was stressing i mean that's a and good then, that's a good problem though man yeah i was like oh my god like you know being in la is just a whole different monster um and it, it you know it's been great. Like we're just kind of like figuring out the balance now of like, okay, how much, how many tanks do we need full of IPA um, loggers? That's what we cannot keep on draft. Like loggers in LA are, and I think also too, um, you, you notice like when I went into the neighborhood where Highland Park's been holding down for like two, three years now, um, they're like, their fan base is huge on IPAs and loggers. So going in there, um, immediately like that was something that just kind of catapulted in, in selling for us, especially our loggers. And we just cannot keep loggers on drop because of like our capacity right now. Um, you know, it takes them anywhere from like four or five weeks right. to make one. Yes. So, um, so like, you know, we'll have like a week or two period where we just don't have any loggers on, um, except for like guest beer because uh-huh. we can have guests there. So that's awesome though. At least so, you yeah. can fill the void. So we're trying to, we're trying to get up our, our, our logger and people love, like we're, you know, people love our loggers. We do kind of like this old world, like kind of style with it. And, and it just, it resonates with, with people that come and buy our saisons. They, you know, drink a couple of saison, they'll wash it down with a, with a nice crisp logger. So it just seems to be one of those beers that um, we can't make enough of, and and we're, we're excited about that. That's too. awesome. Talking about you know, you make great loggers, make great IPAs. I mean, your your saisons are are par none. You know, you make unbelievable saisons. What are you working on now that you are particularly excited about? Like, what's the next thing you think? Yeah, so we've been. Um, I mean. Probably over the past three years, we've been really kind of studying and doing a lot of research with grapes. And I think that's kind of like taken on a new world for us as far as like um, just expanding knowledge on on fermentation, I guess, so to speak. And, you know, so we've been working on on getting our wine license and doing some wine um, with our company. And and so that's that's something we've been definitely like looking forward to. And I think like our just kind of like the whole uh, direction with our, our beer in the, in the past, like three years with the first time we kind of just started, you know, getting into like the natural wine movement and, and, and understanding what, like the parallels that like kind of match with, with what, um, Saison or, or Lambic brewing are with the spontaneous nature of it, with the blending and the, um, just the, the kind of yeah, wild nature of letting it being kind of, um, molding it with what you can do, but not doing 
too much to it. You know, it kind of right. comes itself and, and then you just kind of guide it. And so, so I think, um, yeah, that that's definitely a new venture for us. So um, you're, you're getting into the winemaking business. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. That's yeah, amazing. Um, yes. Like very vaguely, um, just start of it. We got some uh, wineries that we we're working with too, the, down the line. Uh, we met a few um, people that took interest in what we were doing. And so we've been working with them and with them. So are you are you going to release this under the homage brand or is this going to be a new brand? And is it strictly natural wine? Yeah, so I think I think so we're, we're working on the license. I think we'll probably do something with um, a new name that will probably be uh, connected with the homage brand, obviously. Okay. But um, yeah, we haven't really haven't really like nailed down the nature of the marketing and branding like 100%. We have ideas, but I think right now, like we're kind of just focused on um, just home, like shaping skills and getting as much knowledge as we can before we do any type of launch. I, I do see a launch in the future, not, not anytime soon. It's kind of like okay. something that we're really, um, we don't want to like, Rush. we want to respect the, right. the market and, and come out with, uh, with a, you know, no. a really quality product. No, I completely understand. You know, you don't want to roll anything out half-assed. You want to do it the right way. Right. Um, I do have, you know, a serious question. What, if anything, about being in a rock band and having that, you know, what you were doing, what, what, how did that shape and help you in your brewing career? What do you say as a brewing owner? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I always tell people like being in a band and uh, that was pretty much like business one-on-one. Like, I mean, everything from, you know, you create your look, your style, your genre, um, you know, things that you're influenced by, you you have come out in your music as well, but you also have to figure out a way to take those influences and be innovative and shape what makes your your brand unique, you know? So all those different aspects of kind of like being in a band, using those kind of ideals like really kind of shaped how I was able to think going forward with this brewery and how can I make it unique? How can I, how can I do things? You know, obviously beer has been made for hundreds of years. It's been done. But what can we do to make it new when there's this landscape of craft beers, breweries popping up, you know, second and by second by second in every, uh, in every state all over the world, basically. So, you know, I just kind of kept my ear to the ground and see what was going on and, and, you know, try to look elsewhere for inspiration as well to kind of um, utilize other things that can make uh, our brand and our beer unique. And I, I think that's kind of like the mentality that I got from music and also kind of the work ethic of just always grinding, you know, never, oh, never, absolutely. you know, knowing that if I was wasting time, someone else was getting ahead and kind of like that whole mentality of, of just passion, pursuing it and, um, you know, just grinding it out, being nonstop about it. And so, you know, I'm always thinking, I'm always trying to figure out creative ways to kind of, you know, add new avenues to this brand and, and not just be, um, not, not like everybody a, else. Yeah. No, a cookie cutter brewery, right. you know, like I think there's different, you know, I, I like the word culture. Like if you, if you look at, like certain brands um, who do it really well, they, they almost create their own culture, you know? Right. And, and I think that's, that's something that we strive to do and uh, try to accomplish with our beer. That's awesome, man. I mean, do you, do you miss the rock star life at all? Oh no, no. I hated touring. touring <laughs> I like the only, the only thing I really miss about it was like being able to express yourself in music and playing on stage. Right. That feeling is a high that, you can't replicate unless you're playing music and in front of people. And so, yeah, I I haven't got that feeling or felt that, but I did a lot of it. You know, it's not something that, you know, now, now I get new highs, you know, being with my kids and, and other things. So there's other things that fill those, fill those spaces. Hey, listen, I want to really thank you for coming on the show, man. It's been a pleasure and, uh, and thank you, man. It's, uh, it's very awesome to hear your backstory touring and being in a you know heavy metal band and all that and then transitioning and how that all helped you with the business and you know everybody needs to come check you out either in pomona or in chinatown in la i mean definitely look out for homage beer because it is amazing product some of the best stuff out there absolutely 
So I want to thank you again, Matt. Thanks, I really appreciate Matt. your time, brother. Thank you, John. Thank you, Maria. Love you guys. Thank you so much. We appreciate, appreciate you. All right, brother. Thanks. Later. You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. Our next guest is the foremost sneaker artist in the nation. His customizations of sneakers and cleats grace the courts of the NBA, the fields of the NFL, and the red carpet to Hollywood. He turned a passion for design, a love of sports, and a burning desire to create a better life for himself and his son into a thriving business. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Salvador Amesqua, a.k.a. Kickster Damas. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. How you guys doing? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the show. You also have... Uh, homeboy tan there with you so uh welcome tan tan. Man taylor yes sir how's it going good good man glad to have you both on and uh thank you for uh gracing us with your presence we're about to get into some business here man so uh sal i'd like to uh if you could just uh take us back to the beginning man you were sleeping on your cousin's couch working at a low-paying job paying child support and questioning where your life was headed and yeah man and, uh. and one day your cousin handed you an old pair of jordan ones and asked you to restore them Tell us what happened next after that happened, man. Man, so pretty much I've been an artist since I was about four years old. I've been doing my own comic books. I pretty much figured how I I learned by myself, self-taught, how to do every form of art from graphic design to web design to drawing, painting. Um, So knowing that, my cousin had came up to me with an old pair of Jordans and asked me if I could restore them. So, I mean... I had never done it before, but I could do research and figure it out. So that's pretty much how it started. You know, I found a little side hustle. I was working at Finish Line, so I was working at a shoe store. Yeah, I was working at a shoe store, but I only had two pairs of shoes to my name. So it's, it's, you know, I couldn't really afford that that kind of stuff at the time. And, um, you know, it just, it, it just... I was hungry and I needed money and, and uh, you know, I, it was, it was a, at the point where child support was taking most of my check and it wasn't a big check anyway. So it was kind of a struggle, you know, trying to feed my kid the stuff that I wish I could and give him the things that I wish I could. So the side hustle kind of kicked in and um, you know, it, it just, it was all word of mouth, you know, it started that way. And then, as I continue to do research on how to do different restorations, that's when I saw people were doing art on vans. So I kind of started on a pair of Chucks. Oh, and, of course. Uh, Classic, man. Classic. Yeah. Every, everything was self-taught. I, I messed up a lot of shoes. Uh, <laughs> it was a lot of stress in the beginning, but I just kept at it. You know what I mean? And, and I kind of blew up my social media just through word of mouth and being you know featured on blogs and stuff. So that, that kind of opened the door again for about eight years. I wasn't making the money I'm making now. It was, it was always, you know, just grind, grind, grind. And I was, I got to the point where I was able to live happy and comfortable, but like I couldn't buy all the nice things I wanted. You know what I mean? I was, I was, I was still living, like I was renting a room out of my aunt's house, you know, stuff like that. But I was still able to like, you know, provide a little bit better for my son. Oh, I hear you, brother. And uh, then in 2016, I got in a car accident on the way to SneakerCon and uh, kind of messed up my back. And the doctor said that I had to rehab, that I couldn't paint anymore until I rehab because I was putting too much stress on my back. Um, of course, I just kept going because, you know, <laughs> that was my bread and butter. Of course. And, but it got to the point, it got to the point where I couldn't anymore. You know, it was too painful and so I had to just suck it up. I stopped painting. I, I went through a little depression. I, I logged off my Instagram. At that point, I was like at 120,000 followers. Um, I logged off my Instagram. I made it private. I didn't even want to go on it anymore. I was about to just pretty much give up, bro. Wow. That's crazy, man. Um, and, um, yeah, man, for, for a whole year, bro, I, I just stopped painting. I was on the verge of just giving up. And then I had to, after my rehab, I had to swallow my pride and get one of the worst jobs of my life. So uh, getting that job, it was a hard labor job. I was working maybe about 14 to 16 hours a day sometimes. Uh, minimum wage. So, the t- so I mean, being taxed, you don't really see that overtime like that. you know? Uh, yeah, I know that. <laughs> I, didn't ha- I didn't have a car, so I was pretty much 
taking an Uber to work and back home every day. So that was like almost half my check. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to move up in the company, had to, you know, I had to grind, 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 bust my ass. And uh, eventually I just, I sat there one day and I was just like, man, I deserve better than this. You know, I, I've, I've been, I, I have a talent. Like something just snapped me out of it. You know, it was just like, man, you got to give it one more shot. And, and that's what and that's when it really kicked off for you back then is like when you had that self-realization that you deserve better than this and that, you know. Yeah, man. So I, I said, I said, screw it. You know, I decided I'm going to I'm just going to give it one more shot. So I logged back in. I had lost at this point. I had lost probably like 30,000 followers because it was just a dormant account. Right. Uh, I was back under a hundred K, but you know, you know, when you're private and then you, you make it public, it accepts everybody that's trying to follow you. Of course. And, uh, so I did a little bit of research and I saw that a couple of like influential people were following me, including my boy cat from Minnesota Timberwolves. So I was a big NBA fan. So when I saw that, I kind of just shot my shot, sent him a DM and he answered within five minutes. And within a week, we were chilling together for like five hours, you know, just shooting the shit and just he just wanted to see what I'm about, you know, see if it's some uh, the chemistry was right. And uh, everything worked out, man. He kind of just used his platform to help me grow. And, and it was a snowball effect from there. So he wa- he was your first NBA client then. I mean, that's where. It really yeah, he was my first of- NBA guy. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So really, I mean, that's when the platform for you really took off is when that connection was made. And you started working with him and made his, you know, his kicks for him, right? Yep. That's awesome, man. Size, size 20. <laughs> <laughs> so did you say yeah. size 20, dude? That's yeah, crazy, size dude. 20, man. It was, <laughs> it was a lot of room to work with. Can you, can you describe yeah. that feeling like when you jumped back in, like you went through these hard times, this depression and everything, and you got back in and you got this relationship going with him and you started making the kicks. Can you describe that feeling when you realized that your art was being seen by like a wider audience now? Like, how did that feel, man? Like, I mean, the, the story is pretty crazy, right? I was still working at this at this shitty job while while I was painting for him. It, it was kind of like, yo, I was doing a lot of free shoes for him just to get my marketing out, you know. Right. So, um, I was hooking him up because I, I figured, you know, in the long run, it's going to pay off. So I was still working at this job. So I was still working, you know, the, the, the 12 to 14 hour shifts, going home and painting, going to sleep, having to wake up at like four in the morning, go to work. And um, it came down to, to Halloween. And I had talked to him for a while about this pair. I was like, yo, we got to do something crazy for Halloween. That's the one that's going to go viral. And he was like, well, let's do something with Jason. So when I made his Jason pair, uh, it went extremely viral. Uh, it was the first time that, you know, my name was like published like on ESPN and, and all that good stuff. So um, it kind of uh, it, it really- kind of opened that door for me as far as the next day I go to work, I'm looking at my emails and I have hundreds of emails of people that want that pair. So, you know, I, I just formulated this copy and paste from pe- for for the email saying, you know, it's going to be X amount of dollars for this pair. And uh, if you want it, it's limited. So send the money here, send me your address and all that information. Uh, I went back to work. The only place you could get reception in that job is in the bathroom. So I took a couple bathroom <laughs> breaks. Just to check. And uh, by the time I took my next bathroom break, I had 10 grand in my account. That's you crazy, know what dude. I mean? That is crazy. And then, I, and then I took another break and then I had like another 10 grand. So at that point, I was like, man, I, I could actually quit this job. But I, I was still kind of scared. But what really like pushed me over the edge was, I had an email from ESPN saying they wanted to do an over-the-phone interview within like 30 minutes. So I said, wow. "Yeah," and I just walked out the job. Oh, I you thought know? you were. I thought you bad. were gonna be like, "F you, f you, you're cool, f you, I'm out." You know? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I I, I kind of felt that way, but I didn't do it. But yeah, it, it was that move because I looked I looked at my supervisor when I walked out. I think he thought I was on lunch. But, like, I just walked right past. <laughs> I took my last Uber ride, man. And That's I was good dope. Right there. I was going to say, I, I didn't think you were going to do the ESPN interview in the bathroom, man. You know, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, not in the bathroom, but I had, to, I had to make sure I get home for that one. That's awesome, man. Right. So who gave you the name Kickster Damas? Uh, that was me, man. It was, uh, I actually went through a few different names, and it was just like a, 
a rebranding and finding a name that that could stick and would be really cool. Um, you know, and there's not really much meaning behind it other than it just sounds dope. No, you know I, agree. I, mean? I, I like, agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah. I feel like it's something that could <laughs> stick and I've been able to, to, to play with it a little bit. So yeah, it kind of worked out that way. That's awesome, man. So hey, and, and I know in 2018, the NBA removed all color restrictions from sneakers. For the first time, well, that like, was thanks to me and Cat right there. Right, right. So for the first time in league history, players were free to wear whatever color they wanted during the games. How did that help you with your business? Man, I ain't gonna lie to you. As soon as that news broke out that day, I had like forty text messages from forty different players I had never worked with before. So it was, uh, it wow. was crazy, man. It, wow. it really opened. Yeah, me and Cat were really, you know, a lot of people don't know that, but me and Cat were the big push towards that. You know what I mean? At first they didn't like it. You know, at first the, the shoe companies didn't like it, but then they started to realize it was for the culture and it's just, just working, you know? That's it awesome. Man. That's awesome now. Yeah. Cause now a lot of guys rock, whatever they want to wear. I mean, any kind of art on their shoes. I mean, it's, you see it grown and grow and grow and grow. How many clients do you, would you say you got now pro athletes? You think, man, up to date, if I man, I, I wouldn't even know to be honest. I have a couple, like a hundred something NBA, maybe like a good thirty in the NFL. I'm starting to get into soccer now, you know, yeah, few in the baseball. Let's get that soccer. But going. I've also, <laughs> yeah, I've also been, uh, you know, blessed to work with some of the biggest companies in the world. So yeah, it's awesome. You know, uh, those are the the big money jobs, and the fact that I was able to to be the first artist ever featured in a video game was amazing. You know, so stuff like that is crazy. So tell me about that. Tell me about the video game. So which uh, which one was it, and and how were you represented inside the game? So I ended up getting hit up by my manager. He was like, "Yo, I got something huge for you. I don't want to buy my tongue yet. You know, I want to make sure that this is locked in." And then uh, you know it, it came out that you know EA Sports and FIFA wanted wanted to work with me, man. So uh, I designed this shoe. I ended up painting it in person. Wow. with them filming it and wow. now it's it's rendered into the video game you can unlock it in fifa 21 i think i've seen so it actually i played that game so that's awesome man yeah man it's, it's it's just crazy you know uh being able to say that you know my name's on there and you could you could actually own a pair if you can't own it in person you could own it in the game you know that's amazing so man. it's pretty badass how does your son feel like with all my this son? Yeah, my 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 son and he brags about me all the time to his friends, but he's more <laughs> excited uh, when it comes to like the video game side of things. So I'm endorsed by G Fuel and Turtle Beach. That's so amazing. he's a big gamer. Yeah, so that kind of that kind of helps him out in many ways, and and you know I feel like he has potential to to be somebody in the gaming industry. So it kind of works out. So that, it's it's, awesome. it's really cool being able to use my platform for that. Yeah. So I I know you've done kicks for zion i know you've done kicks for luca i mean it's just amazing to see your work man how does the process work i mean do they usually come to you with a concept and ask you to create or are you the one typically that has something in mind for them if if a player is sending me shoes they'll either be like yo this is the theme i want go crazy or they'll just say do whatever you want that's pretty much how it goes down when it comes to down to working with companies it's a little bit more uh a little more annoying sometimes, you know, right. uh, they come with you with the exact idea. Then I have to put it in a paper and then we have to go through like five different mockups and it's, it's a lot more process. It's a lot, a lot more, a lot red more tape. process. A lot more red it's tape obviously higher paid. Yeah. It's obviously higher paid, but it's like, uh, it kind of takes away from the artistic, uh, creativity on your end. You know what I mean? As far as, where you would have gone with the project as right. opposed to what they want. You right. Know? Yeah. No, yeah, it kind of it kind of gives you puts you in a box of where they want you instead of let you just free flow with what you want to do. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, I completely But the, but the money's good, you know what I'm saying? So you can't <laughs> you can't you can't turn it down. Can't you know? complain about yeah. that. You're listening to the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield and we are talking to Kick Stradamus. So I know I, I know t- you know Tan's there and I know Tan has talked about being a craft beer fan, and I know we sent you a box of beer. What do you guys think about the whole craft beer thing, man? I mean, and, and you oh, guys the, are the, beer, the beer's fire. I'll be honest with you. I don't drink that much beer. Like, like if I drink it, it'll be like craft beer. I don't like like the beer that you just buy straight out the market and shit. Right. But uh, Tan is a big craft beer guy, so uh, 
Chan would definitely take it away on that one. <laughs> well, oh, man. Like, I grew up uh, in Northern California with my dad, just being a huge fan of, of stuff that was so different from where I grew up, you know, IPAs and, and, you know, just darker, bitter things. And where I grew up, it was all Coors Light, Bud Light, you know. And, and so I got a taste of craft beer early on um, for him. And uh, my love for craft beer kind of just grew after I moved to Portland for college. Um, and Portland at the time, I mean, just was amazing uh, with, with all the different breweries. Um, that have now kind of sold out, you know, gone right, on different exactly. routes. But uh, right. so that's 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 the thing that uh, that craft beer um, that really caught my eye with craft beer is just it's like an art, just like how Kicksta shoots. I mean, you have these guys and, and gals that go in and make amazing art with with hops, um, and then and and put it in a can, and then there's art on the can, and so there's this whole culture behind craft beer that just really attracted me, not only because of my past and and my dad and my family, but with just the culture, um, you know, in Portland and, and, and now in, you know, the whole United States. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. What would you say? I mean, it, it's crazy on this end. I mean, like the, what you guys do to me is amazing. And, you know, even being on my side in this industry, it, it's, it's a crazy thing, you know, how it's kind of grown and kind of gone through the waves and where we're at now with the different styles. Would you say you, you like Tan, do you have a specific style of beer you, you gravitate towards? I mean, and I know kick doesn't, we're gonna change that, you know. I'm gonna keep sending you beer. I'm, you know I'm, I mean? the, I'm the guy that likes kind of like like the the sweeter, sweeter like uh, yeah. mm-hmm. I like the fruit ones and shit. Yeah. So like that 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 pineapple whip one that you got over exactly. here, that, that one's fire. Yep. So that's whip like it. my style right there. Whip, whip <laughs> See, it good. Yeah, give, give me uh, give me bitter. Give me IPA. A uh, hazy. I'm into hazies. I mean, I have been into hazies for the last like six. My, my seven girls, years. my girls into that stronger <laughs> stuff too. That, that, that's her thing. You know? so, yeah. I got I gotta send but, you uh, some uh, imperial stouts too. That'll trust me. Ooh. Yeah, man. And uh, I think we're obviously going to have to talk as we go on here, maybe about getting kicked or maybe uh, design some labels for our beers. <laughs> so oh, go down yeah. The road. Be talk yeah. to me nice. I'm ready, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> always, always. So let's really uh, get into the second half because I know you got the kick, you know, sneaker game, art designs. You've got that covered. But the new foray, which you've been part of in a big push, is the cards let's talk sports cards let's talk trading cards man like this this industry this hobby when did you jump in i would like to say right by the beginning of covid man right uh you know i ended up finding uh, one of my old binders of pokemon cards and there was like some really good shit in there man so i found this binder and i put it up for sale somebody offered me 5k right off the bat i took it i was like man what a win I did a little bit of research and I saw I got robbed. So uh, <laughs> I started doing more research and then I was like, man, I miss this shit. You know, once you get back into it, it's like I used to collect this shit back in the day. So now being able to, you know, get back into it when you actually have money is way different, you know? Oh, I know. Um, so, yeah, man, I kind of went in like hard. Like I, I, I don't even know how much like fully invested I am in, but I'm pretty sure I've made it back at this point. But um, you just got to keep investing and, and churning it out. But I, I feel like what we're doing is a little different than everybody else. And uh, we're able to kind of uh, take it to another level where we're able to like kind of get some of these these great, you know, cards and slabs in the hands of people that can't afford them, you know, straight up and stuff like that. Right. So I, I just kind of find a way to innovate and make it a lot more fun. And that's what we do. No, I, I, I agree. You know, I've been on your streams and that's really kind of where we hooked up was through the cards. And it's, obviously it's grown through, you know, past that. It's definitely different to see because this is definitely, like you said, a money man's game. Like, I mean, if you want to be in this, like you got to have some money to to participate in this stuff because some of this stuff is not cheap so it's awesome to see like the angle that you take to give people the opportunity to get their hands on these slabs for a reasonable price because a lot of people aren't about that you know we've talked about that you know it's it's definitely i mean i mean it's crazy man i've seen i've seen some some mystery packs where 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 they're just really not like it just doesn't seem like it makes sense for what these people are spending you know what i mean so it's kind of like i feel like as opposed to a lot of other people doing these kind of things, uh, we kind of go above and beyond as far as value. Right. Uh, 
an experience. I mean, we give an experience in the fun house that is, you can't yeah, I mean, I mean, you could go into other lives and it could be boring. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we kind of have built this community of people that, you know, they just have fun. We're just having a good time. That's, right. that's what we're here to do. Where do you guys see now that we just, obviously I'm sure you've seen the news on ESPN cause they played it like nonstop about that Onus Wagner card that sold for 6.6 million. I mean, like, where do you see this like industry going now? What do you think? You think we're staying? I mean, you think it's going to cool off? Like, where do you think it's going? Uh, I don't think it's slowing down anytime soon. I mean, there's there's just more and more people with money jumping in. You know what I mean? I think it's going to get more expensive for for people that can't afford to be in the hobby. But right. as far as the hobby dying, I don't I don't see that happening anytime soon. No, uh, especially now that the you know the card companies are wrapping their stuff up and they're just making like even more like sicker product you know right yeah i just think i think that um it's not slowing down every single week we see a new record sale of some sort of sports card or or tcg you know trading card in general i mean uh, how is how is an industry dying when there's records you know being broken and six million dollar cards and you know all the time and and what's crazy too is that we're seeing modern cards right luca four million dollars right there's trouts for for three four million i mean it's it's nowhere near dying i just think that uh this little correction that we see in is just a healthy you know just a a healthy uh healthy thing for the community no i agree with that i mean beyond the mickey mantle onus wagner really it's all modern cards people i think have a more emotional connection like even what they were saying on espn guys with big big money are giving up the art paintings that cost you millions of dollars and they're investing that instead into like cards because they have more of an emotional connection because they watched this person when they played basketball growing up or football you know what i mean and people are putting these like as centerpieces in their houses or something my concern is that it's becoming like this thing what we don't want to lose is the the average people that still love buying cards whether it's sports cards trading cards whatever for them to still get into it and you know and not just make it a big money game you know what i mean i think we still need to have a connection because if not I think it is going to push too many people away because it's going to get too expensive for people. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's crazy because, I mean, Panini still makes product that is cheaper, right? Right. But essentially all the collectors are a lot. A lot. It's crazy, though, because it's an addiction at the same time, right? So a lot of these guys are just spending tons of money trying to hit that big, that big card, right? Yo, it's a gamble. And, uh, it's a gamble. It is. 100%. A- any way you look at it, it's gamble, right? Yeah. Uh, the funhouse can be a gamble, but um, that's why in the funhouse, when I do mystery packs, I make sure everybody leaves with something that they could be happy with. Um, but at the same time, whenever you open a pack of cards, whenever you open a box, it's a gamble. You it's don't know what the hell's in there. It could be a shitty-ass pack, right? right. <laughs> you don't I know mean, what you're going to get out of there. Uh, right? Let's just so, say, like, you're going to go, you know, because what was it? National Treasures uh, basketball drop, right? And you're going to go drop $4,000 on a hobby box, hoping to hit. I mean, a lot of people are not going to walk away happy. You know what I mean? mean, But you're hoping to hit what? One or two dudes? Yeah. So it's a gamble that it's a gamble that you were willing to take when you sent that payment. Exactly. Right. Right. So it's all a gamble. But I mean, it's still a fun gamble. I mean, people, but that's yeah. why I think it's another draw to it. But people are still, I think now more than ever. I mean, listen, yeah. even me growing up. It was always for me. It was you know collecting baseball cards, but it was just about getting the players and stuff. But I still think that connection is there. But now you got the big money chase because some of these cards, if you hit on them, man, they're worth huge money. So there's always that chase, which is you know it makes it exciting at the same time. And like I agree, I don't think we're going anywhere with this. But I mean, it's awesome from the aspect of watching you guys still try to keep everybody else connected and not just these big money dudes. You know what I mean? I think that's important for the community as well. You brought you brought, a, you brought it up to me the, the other day about the whatnot. So I told Tan today that Friday we're going in on whatnot. So you're going to want to check that out for sure. We got the, we got some, this is probably the most loaded that we have had our mystery packs as far as we have like a little bit of everything for everybody's taste. You know what I mean? Right. From, I have some like Funko pop signed and, and authenticated by Undertaker and Hulk Hogan uh the last packs we had everybody was going for that undertaker so i just figured i had to do something for those those people but then as far as sports and everything i have a khabib auto slab i have some charizards you know a little bit for everybody right for everybody's taste yeah you gotta keep uh, keep them all involved yeah yeah you keep everybody involved you know 
So, uh, yeah, man, it, uh, we started doing the mystery packs maybe a couple weeks ago and it was just so effective and so successful that we just, we just had to keep it going. You know, I agree. I agree. I got, uh, two questions, man, to kind of wrap this all up. I would, uh, would tell any existing or expiring entrepreneurs to take a look at your Instagram page. You've really developed some great content and, and engagement. How important has social media been in growing your business? Uh, social media is the reason I am where I am today. You know what I mean? So I think it's very important. Uh, you have to market yourself and you know, it's sad because a lot of people don't know how that are very talented. Right. Uh, I've seen some amazing uh, artists and stuff like that, that I feel deserve, you know, more, but they don't know how to ma- market themselves or, or really like manage the platform, you know? I so uh, I think if you do things right, so, uh, social media is very, very powerful. I mean, I, I never paid for, I never paid for promo, nothing. I built this empire from the ground up, you know, just grinding it out. Absolutely. So. And then final question, brother, words of advice you would give to others who may be finding themselves on their cousin's couch tonight, like you were 10 years ago. What kind of advice would you give somebody? Just just go for what you want to do, you know? Like, uh, I mean, you can imagine, bro, even my family was kind of like, yo, so what are you going to do with your life? And I was like, well, I'm painting shoes. And I was kind of like, you're painting shoes. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I don't don't understand. Especially with Latino uh, parents, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. yeah. So, but then, like, even when I would go out to parties, you know, or anything like that, they'd be like, "Yo, like, so what do you do for a living?" I'm like, "I'm an artist. What kind of artist? I paint shoes. What? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it just doesn't sound like something that would be lucrative or like an actual career. But I was able to make it happen. So, I mean, you can make anything, you know, happen. Well, I will. Uh, I'm gonna be looking so, for- forward to those kicks that. Obviously, be coming back oh, for you yeah, soon. Man. Dude. I know I'm, they're going to be dope. His son, so. I know. Yeah, I'm excited for that, man. And uh, just keep the ball rolling, man. I really appreciate you, man. Uh, every time you come in and support, it means a lot. You know, it's kind of like sometimes they need to see those people come in so you get the ball rolling. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It's, Absolutely. Just, it's just like that. It's just <laughs> like that. And uh, I, f- I have a feeling whatnot's going to be the same way. I mean, we're going to start the auctions at $1. Right. Uh, see how they roll. But I think once people start seeing what's inside these packs, I think that's what's going to so we're really going to drive the numbers. So. Absolutely, brother. Well, you know I will be there. And uh, I want to, again, thank you and Tam for coming on the show. And uh, appreciate your support, man. And uh, nothing but luck. Nah, and, thank uh, you, man. Yeah. We'll, we'll always be open for some more, man. Just keep us <laughs> oh, posted, man. Absolutely. Sure. I will be sending you more beer, especially those uh, stouts with oh, uh, yeah. all the uh, good flavors in them, man. All right? Absolutely. Absolutely, brother. Thank all right, man. You. We'll stay well, right, and I'll talk to you talk guys, you guys soon. soon, man. Later. Thank you. All right, brother. Bye. Bye. Thank you, guys. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank my guests, Meg Garcia and Kickster Damas and Tan, my co-host Maria Cabre and my producer Rocco Riggio. Thanks for listening. We're here each Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Business Radio 132. Replays are on Saturday at 8 p.m. and Sunday at 1 p.m. You can also find repeat episodes on the SiriusXM app. Remember, people, the thirst is real.